morning. I still can't shake that feeling every time I play the piano and then come up here to speak. I always feel like I should have one of those big drums on my back, you know, walking along the one-man band, <laughs> clanking my cymbals on my elbows, <laughs> and then cleaning it up to beat, unplugging it and putting it away. This, uh, this, this lecture this morning... Um, has been a real uh, a real joy, I guess. I mean, that sounds kind of canned, but a lot of fun to put together. Uh, what I did was go through the gospel and pull out a lot of the stories where the master is either in ecstasy or it says that he was reeling like a drunkard or, you know, that he was uh, inebriated in divine love. So I pulled out a lot of those little clips and uh, and then just sat with them, just spent a lot of time just thinking about them and... and uh, ruminating over them and trying to, uh, I guess, pull out just uh, some hidden gems or secrets in there to how we can join that party, how we can find our way to that kind of spiritual life, to that kind of experience of God, of the divine, uh, to make, you know, <laughs> to kind of counter, I guess, the dry periods and the, the, the hard work and, and a lot of times just the practice of it all. Um, so before we jump into that, though, I'm going to remind you again of the three most important things. And why do I keep doing this? Because I'm hoping to learn them one day. I'm hoping to live them one day. And I always figure that uh, no matter how badly we may bomb on the lecture, if we get these three components down first anyway, we'll be fine. So uh, it's a little bit of a concession for me. So the first, the first one comes from Takor. When, uh, when he's talking about spiritual life in the gospel, he often says that the most important thing, the most important aspects of your spiritual life is your sincerity and your earnestness. Your sincerity and your earnestness in your quest. He says that if you've got those things going, uh, that, that God takes responsibility for your spiritual life at that point. That he will guide you and he'll direct you and he'll put you on the right path if you're heading down the wrong direction. So it's a commitment to that sincerity and to that earnestness. And uh, I found a little bit of a challenging uh, phrase this week in the gospel or in, uh, in Vivekananda's writings where he talks about uh, a good measure of your earnestness is what you do in your idle time, <laughs> which I didn't like reading that at all. <laughs> I was like, whoa, 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 boundaries, boundaries. <laughs> You know, he says, in your idle time, he says, uh, you know, do you, do you find yourself playing cards or kind of twiddling your time away, or do you find yourself picking up a book or, or sitting down with your mantra or uh, just thinking of the divine? And uh, that was nice. It was nice because it hurt a little bit. You know, it was nice because I realized, wow, okay, there's something concrete that defines earnestness. You know, what am I spending my extra time on? So I've really been working on that this week. Uh, so... I haven't played a game of cards on my tablet without reading some holy scriptures <laughs> beforehand. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, I think there's hope for me. I don't know. We'll go forward with that. So, uh, so earnestness and sincerity. The second one is from Jesus when he was being, uh, well, actually the Pharisees, the religious rulers were trying to trip him up and get him to say something blasphemous. So they asked him, what's the most important commandment of all? And uh, he says the most important commandment is love. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, mind, and strength. And to love each other as you love yourself. Those are, that's the most important commandment. So this morning, no matter what other fun things we might learn or, or hear about, uh, love is the most important commandment. That you as a spiritual person, you as a person, forget spiritual person, you as a person will be happiest when you learn to love purely and without motive, when it, when it becomes your spontaneous nature, when you don't have any of the filters in place to block that in your mind, none of the selfishness, none of the fears of being a, a finite body and mind. So love is the most important. And then truth you know, again, we have Takor sitting on the banks of the river and throwing out the pairs of opposites. Uh, you know, to mother, here's your good and here's your evil. Take them both and give me only pure love for you. 
And uh, when it came to throwing out truth, he was about to try and throw out truth and untruth. And he, he realized mother wouldn't let his hand go, that, that truth is fundamental to your spiritual practice, to your life. And uh, this one also went a little bit deeper for me this week. It's always problematic when it goes deeper because it always means more challenges and uh, you know more insight that makes me squirm. But this idea of truth, uh, it's, you know, it's a matter of integrating, a matter of in- integrity in yourself so that what you're thinking, what you're saying, and what you're doing are all three in alignment. But there's another level to this that you in your nature are satchitananda, we've talked about that many times, that you are bliss, existence, intelligence, absolute. And so to be truthful, you have to come from one of those three places in everything that you do, either from a place of love, a place of bliss, that, that this activity you're involved in, this, these, the way you're treating this person, comes from a place of deep love, that it's in alignment with your nature, that the way that you're uh, acting is intelligent, you know, that it's not flippant or that it's not dangerous or that it's not irresponsible, but it's intelligent because that's your nature, you know. The existence part, I think we got down pretty well. We seem to do that fairly easily. <laughs> but to have, to have that truth. So this morning, let's make that commitment to each other uh, as a sangha, as a, as a group of people trying to find our way in this world, to love each other, to be truthful, and to be earnest and sincere in all of our dealings with each other. And if we do that, then we'll recognize Mother and see her present with us, and we'll be inspired by her. On page 13, there's a lovely poem by Hafiz that covers a lot of what we were going to talk about this morning. We've read it before. A bow rises and shoots. Light will someday split you open, even if your life is now a hard cage. Because a divine seed, the crown of destiny, is hidden and sown on an ancient fertile plain that you hold the title to, love will surely bust you wide open into an unfettered, blooming new galaxy, even if your mind is now a spoiled mule. A life-giving radiance will come. The friend's gratuity will come. Oh, look again within yourself. For I know your soul was once the elegant host to all the marvels in creation. From a sacred crevice in your body, a bow rises each night and shoots the moon into the sky. Behold the beautiful, drunk, singing one from the lunar vantage point of love. He is conducting the affairs of the whole universe while throwing wild parties in a treehouse on a limb in your heart. (laughs) So this whole discussion this morning is about getting into that treehouse to one of the Lord's wild parties to stretch out a little bit into the unconventional ideas of religion. We're going to go headlong into bhakta this morning, bhakti, devotion, and uh, some people get uncomfortable with that. Everybody wants to be a gyani these days. But, uh, you know, there's one saving grace about it. I think the reason for that, actually, is because Swami Prabhupada once made a very uh, profound statement to me, uh, again, at the lunch table. Um, He said, he said, bhakti without renunciation is just sentimentality. And I think that's a lot of what we see in devotional practices in the world. And, you know, because that's contrary to our nature, it kind of leaves us with a little bit of an upset stomach, you know, a little bit of an eye roll, like, okay. (laughs) And so uh, keep that in mind this morning, that, that that, yes, we're diving headlong into devotion, but we're taking renunciation, discrimination, and dispassion tucked under our arm with us uh, so that we have some root to that devotion. So we have some power behind that bhakti, that it's not just a giggling face of a fool, you know, who's, who's intoxicated himself on feelings for a few moments. It's not about that. It's about somebody who's planted that seed and through their discrimination and their renunciation has let that root go deep in their life so that it affects everything that they are, that it's not a mood, it's not a temporary passing disposition, that it's a sense of being in this world that's an expression of divine love, divine love without selfishness, without sensuality, without hope of a fruit or an earning for it. 
So that, that is where we're going this morning. The master gives us our prayer right away. He's, he's talking to a devotee named Trilokia. He says, that song of yours, O mother, make me mad with your love. I enjoy it very much. Won't you sing it? And so Trilokia sings the song. O mother, make me mad with your love. What need have I of knowledge or reason? Make me drunk with your love's wine. O thou who stealest the bhakta's hearts, drown me deep in the sea of your love. Here in this world, this madhouse of yours, some laugh, some weep, some dance for joy. Jesus, Jesus, Buddha, Moses, Goranga, all are drunk with the wine of your love. O, O mother, when shall I be blessed? When shall I be blessed by joining their blissful company? That's where we're going to start with our prayer. That's our prayer this morning. So if you're comfortable with it, close your eyes, and I'm going to read it one more time. And this time we're going to read it to Mother, to Takur, to God. Oh, Mother, make me mad with your love. What need do I have of knowledge or reason? Make me drunk with your love's wine. O you who steal the bhakta's heart, steal mine, drown me deep in the sea of your love. Here in this world, this madhouse of yours, some are laughing and others weeping, some dancing for joy. Jesus, Buddha, Moses, Goranga, they're all drunk with the wine of your love. O mother, when shall I be blessed? When shall I be blessed, Mother, by joining their blissful company? Rumi has a lovely uh, phrase, and I just pulled it out. It doesn't really fit into anything, but I liked the image so much. And from beyond the intellect, beautiful love comes dragging her skirts, a cup of wine in her hand. <laughs> That is that that's the wine of celestial bliss that we're going to drink of this morning, that we're going to take a sip of. From beyond the intellect, a beautiful love comes dragging her skirts, <laughs> a cup of wine in her hand. Let's dip into the master's room for a moment. Bhavanat, Baburam, Niranjan, and M had spent the night in Dakshineshwar, sleeping on the porch of the master's room. As soon as they awoke, they saw Sri Ramakrishna dancing in an ecstatic mood. He was chanting, Victory to Mother Durga, hallowed be the name of Durga. He was naked and looked like a child as he chanted the name of the blissful mother. After a few moments, he said, Oh, the bliss of divine ecstasy. Oh, the bliss of divine drug drunkenness. Then he repeatedly chanted the name of Govinda. Oh, Govinda, my life. My soul. The devotees sat there on their beds with unwinking eyes, watching Sri Ramakrishna in this spiritual mood. Isn't that something? <laughs> there's so many, there's so many fun elements, so many playful elements to that that really ch challenge your notion of a of, of a spiritual life, of a spiritual teacher. First of all, you know, you wake up in the morning. What what kind of vision would that be to wake up in the morning and roll over? And see Takor dancing, just dancing around to the pictures, the holy pictures in his room, chanting God's name, you know, in a in a in a in a divine fervor, in an ecstatic mood, it says. So he's just he's just going, every word coming out of that mouth, just carrying that heavy vibration of truth, you know, of coming from from literally the, the very heart of God out and manifesting purely unhindered it's 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 not it's not casting a shadow of any kind it's not being reflected in any way from the heart of god direct from the center of the universe through takor through that hole in the wall we hear this this chanting this victory to mother hallowed be the name of durga oh govinda my life my soul dancing around naked completely unconcerned completely free from inhibition spontaneous and pure completely present completely lost in that divine love. To wake up and see that in the morning, <laughs> to, to wake up and be that in the morning, 
Wouldn't that be the thing, to wake up into that divine ecstasy, that that's the attitude you started a day with, that fervor, that love for God? There's another scene that we'll drop into here. While describing in this way the vision of different divine forms, the master went into an ecstatic mood and said, I have become, I am here. Uttering these words, he went into samadhi, his body motionless. He remained in that state a long time, then gradually regained partial consciousness of the world. He began to laugh like a little boy and to pace the room. His eyes, his eyes radiated bliss as if he had seen a wondrous vision. His gaze was not fixed on any particular object. His face, it beamed with joy. Still pacing the room like the little boy, the master said, I saw the Paramahamsa who stayed under the banyan tree walking this way with just such a smile. Am I too in that state of mind? He sat on the small couch and engaged in conversation with the Divine Mother. Master, I don't even care to know, Mother. May I have pure love for your lotus feet. He turns to M. One attains this state immediately after freeing oneself of all grief and desire. To the Divine Mother, Mother, you've done away with my worship. Please see, Mother, that I don't give up all desire. Mother, the Paramahamsa is but a child. Doesn't the child need a mother? Therefore, you are the mother. I'm your child. How can a child live without his mother? Sri Ramakrishna was talking to the Divine Mother in a voice that would have melted even a stone. Again, he addressed her, saying, Mere knowledge of Advaita, I spit on it. (laughs) Thou dost exist as long as you keep the ego in me. The Paramahamsa is but a child. Doesn't this child need a mother? M sat there speechless and looked at the divine manifestation in the master. He said to himself, The master is an ocean of mercy that knows no motive. He has kept himself in the state of a Paramahamsa that he might, as teacher, awaken the spiritual consciousness of myself and other earnest souls. M further thought, The master says Advaita, Chaitanya, Nityananda, that is to say, through the knowledge of the non-dual, Brahman, one attains consciousness and enjoys eternal bliss. The master has not only attained the knowledge of non-duality, but is in the state of eternal bliss. He is always drunk with ecstatic love for the mother of the universe. There's a couple of things I highlighted in there that I thought were so beautiful. So beautiful. First of all, just the idea of the master being in that in that state, that gaze. Can you picture the description there? His eyes radiated bliss as if he had seen a wondrous vision. He's not looking at anything in particular. He's kind of gazing off into to mid-space. But his face beaming with joy, so happy that his face can hardly express it, pacing the room like a little boy with just an excitement of life, an excitement of being. You know, and talking to the Divine Mother, <laughs> conversing with the Divine Mother, you know, telling her, I'm your child, I'm your child. Don't don't take it all away, don't take it all away. I want to enjoy you as mother. I'm I'm just your boy, I'm just your boy. That relationship of complete complete surrender, complete freeing free from all desire and all grief. He goes on and he's described that he's an ocean of mercy that knows no motive. That's a beautiful meditation to take with us. When you think of God, when you meditate, when you do your mantra tonight, you know, and you're sitting there with the divine, con- contemplate that for a moment, an ocean of mercy without motive, without motive, without requirement, without a condition, an ocean of mercy to spend that time with. And be that child. Be that child. Be free. O Takur, how can I do without you? You are everything to me. 
most of us are not having that kind of experience. Well, I'm not having that kind of experience. I'd like to think I have company in that. <laughs> but to have that kind of blissful meditation that where you're walking around like a child, so happy that you can't contain your joy, you know, just gazing uh, with, with these happy eyes, full of life, full of vigor, full of love, just thinking about your divine, thinking about your relationship with God, and talking with God freely because you see him, because you know his presence. You're aware of that presence in yourself, and you talk to him like that. There's the, at, the end of this, at the end of this beautiful scene, though, there's a, a two sentences here that are quite odd because Hazra, Hazra comes into the picture. He always makes things a little odd. Hazra, with folded hands, looks at the master and every now and, sa- now and then says, oh, how blessed you are, how blessed you are, which seems nice enough, right? <laughs> that's we, that's, that's, there's a lot in that, though, and the master brings it out because the master, in this mood, stops his dancing and he turns and he looks at Hazra and he says, but you hardly have any faith. You simply live here to add to the play, like Jatila and Kutila, you know? And I thought about that. I was like, oof, that's a hard hit. <laughs> that's a hard hit. You know, but you can see it in, 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 in his response, you know, in, in Hazra's response to seeing, I mean, seeing this amazing, this amazing scene happening in front of him of the master of the universe dancing in ecstasy, talking to the divine mother. And Hazra's thing is, oh, how blessed you are, how blessed you are. You know, he's not, he's not at all absorbed in the situation. You know, he's looking at how blessed Takor is, and there's a hint of something in that, a hint of something not quite right, you know, something kind of, hmm. Because you know Hazra, Hazra sort of saw himself as the guru, kind of saw himself as a teacher, you know, he wanted to be the one. And so you can see a hint of that. He's, there's a little bit of envy in what he's seeing in the master. And the master says, you have hardly any faith. Why did he say that? Because if he had, fa- had faith, he would have been part of the scene. He wouldn't have been feeling a lack as, as he compared himself to the master and, you know, like, oh, how blessed you are, how blessed you are, how much mother loves you and given everything to you. What about me? With just a little bit of faith, he would have been part of that vision. As how blessed was he? How blessed was he? I mean, how many of us would, would, what would you give for that moment to be able to sit in Dakshineshwar in the temple and to watch the master dance in ecstasy, talking to the divine mother with joy in his eyes that's splitting the room, you know? What would that be? So with a little bit of faith this morning, let's bring ourselves there. Let's bring ourselves into the company of the master and to enjoy that time he helps us out a lot because I think he appreciates. He said, you know, there's, Vivekananda said to some disciples, he said, he said, yes, you talk about how much love we had for Takor, but we were sitting with him. He says, how much greater is your love that you come and worship him without having ever met him, without ever having seen him? You know, so, so in, a, in a way, Vivekananda himself is, is saying that we've got a greater blessing, you know, that there's, there's a greater thing in us, that we shouldn't look in a, de- in a degrading awe on the great ones, that we should recognize that they've planted something beautiful here that exists even without the hardware to support it as such. You know, that Takor's not in the room delighting us in this way, that we have to we have to put the seeds of the scriptures in our mind and we have to water them and then enjoy the bliss of Takor's presence. You know, then enjoy the bliss of, of that togetherness. The master says when he's going to talk about some hindrances, some things that are going to, that are holding people back from enjoying this. He says, "Yes, this is the attraction of Yogamaya, the divine Shakti. She casts the spell. God performs all of His play through the help of Yogamaya. The love of the gopis—that's the—that's the milkmaids that loved Krishna. He says the love of the gopis was like the attachment of a woman for her paramour." <laughs> I love that because I've been in, you know, growing up in churches, I, I could read a statement like that and I could literally just see half of the women in the audience grab their pearls. <gasps> that He's talking about that. The love of the gopis was like the attachment of a woman for her paramour. They were intoxicated with ecstatic love for Sri Krishna. 
A woman cherishing illicit love is not very keen about her own husband. If she is told that her husband has come, she will say, Yeah, what if he has? There's food in the kitchen. He can help himself. (laughs) But But if she is told of the arrival of a stranger, a jovial, handsome, and witty stranger, well, she'll run to see him and peep at him from behind a screen. <laughs> he says, and Tucker says, you may raise the objection, we have not seen God, how can we feel attracted to him, as the gopis felt attracted to Krishna? But it is possible. I do not know him, I have only heard his name, and that has fixed my mind upon him. <laughs> so we got a couple of things going on here. First of all, I love this description of this woman, her husband, Kamya. <laughs> He can take care of himself. There's food in the fridge. Let him get it. And then, you know, he brings home some handsome, debonair, witty guy from the office, and she's all peeking out, all caught up in that vision. And, uh, you know, I, I love that. It's salty, for sure. There's some there's some great spice in there, which is why I really like it. It's just that idea that, you know, God is free of boundaries. Love is free of boundaries, you know. And, and when, when Takor saw the holy in everything, you know, that he could take this and actually raise up this kind of love, this, you know, this illicit love, and talk about how great it is because of, of the excitement and the enjoyment and the, the attraction, you know, the, the, the involvement of the person. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's showing that as an example. And, of course, we know that any time you get a room full of devotees, you talk about something like that, and then in the first five questions in Q&A is going to be like, well, you know, I don't have that kind of devotion. I just don't see God. How can you expect me to see that when I haven't seen him? You know, how can I have that kind of love if I haven't seen him? It's kind of in our nature <laughs> as devotees, apparently, seemingly, you know, to, to get caught up in that. But Takor, he only gives one, one phrase. He doesn't, he doesn't jump into it real deep. He says, it's possible. Okay, that's the first thing. Cuts it off at the root right there. It's possible. So anything else that you have to add to your argument gets discarded. No, this love, this this beautiful love, you know, this eager love, this illicit love, as it were, for God, is available to you. And he quotes another scripture, he says, I don't know him, but I've heard of his name, and that has fixed my mind upon him. What he's hinting here is that indeed you have seen God, and in fact you've seen nothing but God ever. You know, we've talked about this numerous times, and we're going to talk about it numerous times more this wonderful idea that that divinity is in you and you've been projecting it your entire life and you've given it a thousand names and a thousand forms and you've run after each one of them as if they were the thing itself, completely lost in the world, trying to clutch and grasp at the straw man that lives outside of the senses to be fulfilled. And Takor is saying, look inside. That which is, that which is making me dance with ecstasy is not something I built. It's not something I've created, not something I've generated. It's not a picture I've drawn in my mind. It's not a pretense I've been working on. That is you. That is your nature. I'm seeing it. I'm experiencing it. And you're looking at me in wonder. You know, the gopis see that, see their nature in Krishna. He's a reflection of them. He's a pure form of what exists in each one of them. And they're dancing with that in ecstasy. They haven't seen anything more than you. They have nothing more available to them than you. You carry that with you. The very gem of your heart, the very, the very soul of your soul, is the beloved, is God, readily accessible, readily danceable, <laughs> ready to ready in that like like Hafiz says, you know, throwing that wild party on a limb in a treehouse in your heart, you know. On a limb in a treehouse means it's going to take some effort. You have to climb the tree, you have to get in the playhouse, whatever. It's in there, though. And so don't use that as an, as an excuse. Oh, I haven't seen God. How can I possibly have that kind of love? Don't discredit it like that. You carry it with you. Hold on to that. Keep your eyes on that. He says, I've only heard his name, but that has fixed my mind on him. You know, just, just that idea of seeing God that idea of wanting to know uh, God is enough. Just put that in there. Just put that in the mind. You know, Brother Lawrence turned that into gold. He turned that into a constant presence of the divine. 
to where everything in his life was done for the love of God, had no other motive but the pleasing of, of, of his divine partner, you know, God. Once Mathur Babu was in an ecstatic mood, and he behaved like a drunkard and could not even look after his work. At this, all said, oh, who's going to look after his estate if he believes like that? Certainly that young priest, meaning Ramakrishna, <laughs> has cast a spell on him. <laughs> so we see, we see Mathur Babu, you know, in ecstasy, thinking of God. And of course, worldly people, the first thing they're like, oh, what's going to happen to his estate now? You know, of course, all of them are sort of thinking, mm, how are we going to get his estate now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> get our fingers in that pie. He says, who's going to look after his, 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 uh, his estate Certainly, Ramakrishna must have be putting him in a situation to take that estate. See, you see, you see the world as you as you are. You know, if you're a man of greed, a man of 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 uh, you know, where wealth is your goal, your end all, and you see the world like that, you see something like like Ramakrishna dancing there and and one of his devotees in ecstasy, and your thoughts are immediately about his estate. And about obviously Takor is not can't possibly be motiveless love. He can't possibly be a pure existence. So you assign his motives to your motives. Your motive in doing that would be to capture Mathur Babu's estate for yourself, you see. So it's like that idea, but but that that is something that holds us back. That's one of the things that, that causes us to say, Well, I haven't seen God, how am I ever gonna have that kind of devotion to him? The reason you don't see God is because you're, you're taking these lower thoughts of the lower nature and you're projecting them on God. And so instead of seeing that divine bliss and assuming that divinity and others everywhere, we see that, we see that shortcoming. We see that, that, that twist, you know, that, that exists in ourselves. Or we see our love for the world, you know, that we don't want to let go. You know, we really are concerned about our estate. Takur says, during one of Narendra's early visits, I touched his chest and he became unconscious. Regaining consciousness, he wept and he said, oh, why did you do that to me? I have a father and a mother. This I and mind spring from ignorance. So it's this clutching in this world that keeps us from being able to enjoy this divine bliss, from, from not being able to get intoxicated by God, from not being able to get drunk on divine love. It's because we're afraid What's going to happen to my estate? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my mother, my father? What's going to happen to my kids? You know, these are the things that we see ourselves in control of and that we clutch onto. And we, we give ourselves to them and we miss out on, on this scene you know, with the divine master dancing in ecstasy. Or even here, Mathur Babu, who was a worldly man, who was a man of great wealth and great responsibility, but, but because of his devotion, his love for Takor, he's, he's having ecstasy. He's in an ecstatic mood. That shows us it's possible. You know, there was nothing special about Matur in that sense. He was a man of devotion, sure, but everyone here this morning is a man or woman of devotion. What else brings us here? That ecstasy is ours by our birthright. It is the nature of our, of our relationship with God. So don't hold on to these other things in life. Really be willing to jump. You know, when, when, when mother shows you something, you know, when she showed me that I was being a little bit less than earnest in my, in my search, take that on. Don't hide from it. You know, don't put the book down and stop reading, <laughs> you know, and turn the TV up. Don't do that. You know, don't escape from it. Face it. Face the brute. And just say, yes, Ma, you're right. I'm not being earnest. And oh boy, but I really love my cards. <laughs> you know, I don't want to let go. Whatever, work it out. Talk to Ma. At least bring her into the card game if you can't let go of the cards. You know, at least, at least ask her. At least ask her what cards she should discard. Which this one? This was a good one. <laughs> you know, bring her. Bring her into the game. Bring her awareness uh, to yourself if you can't give up the cards, or bargain with her. Like, okay, Ma. Sit here and play this game with me, and then we'll, we'll read some, some scripture together like that. You know, the best thing to do, of course, is to throw your cards out and, and, and jump full-heartedly into uh, some spiritual practice. But there's an understanding. You know, there's an understanding in Mother. She wants you to do that. She'd like you to do that because she could give you everything at once that way. 
But if you can't, it's part of that honesty, part of that truth inside. Mm, I got some attachments, you know, recognize that. But bring mother in there. Bring her in there anyway. Bring that bliss into your life anyway, you know. Because little by little, her presence, your love for her will increase to where you will feel a greater longing to spend time in meditation because you see her and you sit with her and you know her. She becomes that refuge, that friend to you. So bring her in, even at the beginning. Jesus, though, and I I looked this verse up. It's a long verse, and really it's a lecture in and of itself. But uh, it came to mind when, when, when... uh, when Thakur is saying or bringing to light these two things here that when, when, when Mathur Baba went into ecstasy that it was concerned for the world that was you know brought up and that, that people saw and were afraid of and then when Narendra goes into ecstasy comes back and his concern was his family I've got a mom, pop, what are you doing to me? <laughs> well you can't, you can't do this to me right now Jesus puts it very straightforwardly he says no man can serve two masters For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he's going to hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or materialism. You cannot do them both. Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, nor for your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life more than meat and the body more than clothing? Behold the birds of the air. They don't sow, neither do they reap. Nor do they gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them all. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add even one cubit to your height? And why take thought for clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work, neither do they spin. And yet I tell you that King Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed like even one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What will I eat, what will I drink, or where will I get my clothing? For all of these things the worldly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all of them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So he's laying out the predicament there very clearly. You know, the, the, the thief of our joy, the thief of our bliss, the thief of our inebriation is trying to serve two masters. You know, trying to serve two masters. And what are those masters? Of course, God is one of them, our, our conscience, you know, trying to do the right thing. But what's the other one? It's our senses, our, our lower self, that which we're confused about, that, that, that lower self that we think we are. You know, this, this person that, of this age, of this gender, of this height, you know, of this education, of this income, those things. And he says, he really is telling us there the same thing the master tells us to do, but he's giving us an example. Ramakrishna says, you know, discriminate, think about things. You know, Jesus doesn't just say, oh, stop, have faith in God. He says, look around. Look around at those things that aren't toiling, that aren't planning, that aren't working, that aren't going to their nine to five. And, and nature is providing for all of that. You know, God, God is feeding all those birds and clothing the lilies of the field. Take note of that and know that that same God is taking care of you. Don't be afraid to trust on that. If you trust that, if you step out on that kind of faith and that kind of love, the universe, God, responds to that. There's no doubt about it, you know. But you have to be sure that you've done the housework, the house, you know, you've, you've dusted off, that you've dusted off the furniture in the heart there, that, you know, that you're seeing clearly, that your, your, uh, your faith isn't just laziness in disguise or, <laughs> you know, uh, an excuse, but that it really is a step of faith because you want God more than all of those things. So heal that rift inside. There's somewhere that, somewhere, uh, and I should know the reference, but you know how I am. There's a, <laughs> Takor, I believe, says that, that, you know, you'll come to your realization when you learn to have the, have, to bring your two wives under the same tree. You know, and one of the wives, of course, is Vidya, the, the, that, that, that lover of God, and the other one is the wily, crazy, you know, dancing around the world kind of uh, idea. 
He says you have to learn to live with both of those. You have to bring both of them under under one tree. You have to befriend them and turn them Godward. That's why I say those techniques like bringing mother into the card game. As fun of an idea as that is, it's, it's not a joke. It's really the way to do things. Bring mother into your life, all aspects of your life, even the most heinous aspects of your life. It's wonderful. It's hard because she'll bring that, that light of reason with her into those moments. You know, because a lot of the things, a lot of the worst vices that you get involved in, that you get... It, you require so much focus and so narrowness of such a narrowness of mind to enjoy them, you know, that if you bring the mother in, that light forces, forces that mind open, forces you to see the bigger picture, forces you to understand the effect of this moment on your life, you know, forces you to understand the, what this, what that prayer is really for that you're making in that. So bring mother in, always bring mother in. Don't, don't, don't close the door on her. And seek first the kingdom of God. You know, if we, we were going for a full-on Christian scripture, we, the next verse would clearly be that the kingdom of God is within you. Your garden of Eden is here. Seek this first. Make this your priority. So take a snapshot of one of your days this week and reflect on it. If, I, if you were to take a snapshot of that day, if you were to hand, say, the, the agenda of that day to, to well, to, to anybody, to me, would I be? Would I look? Th- I don't want to be in that position. We'll hand it to Swami A. So he'll look at it and he'll say, <laughs> he'll say, would he be able to know what your priority was from that day? Would he look at that list and say, oh wow, clearly you were seeking the kingdom of God first? Because <laughs> that's what you got to do if you want this kind of experience of God. If you want to dance in the joy of a child with the bliss of God shining out of your eyes so brightly that the, everybody else in the room is sitting there afraid to blink, to miss even a second of it. If you want that kind of relationship with God, that's what it takes. Seek first. Make that the priority of your day. Everything that you do should come from that perspective. You know, that doesn't mean you don't go to the office. It means you go to the office with mother in your mind. It doesn't mean that you don't do your work. It means that you do your work perfectly because it's a worship. It's your gift to Ma, you know, when you fill out that form. You, it's, it's not that you don't go to the meetings, you know, that you pray instead. No, it's not that. It's that you go to the meetings and you see the best of everybody in the room. You assume the best of everybody there. Why? Because you recognize that God resides in them, that this is a beautiful opportunity to see him, see her, to see that. That's what it means. To walk everywhere with the consciousness of God. You know, it doesn't mean you missed the bus because you were praying. It means you got on the bus and you gave your seat to somebody else because you wanted them to be comfortable. It's that kind of life. Constant awareness. Constantly seeking the kingdom of God within. Constantly letting that which is your nature. You're being true to love. You're being true to intelligence. That your life is one of integrity based on what you are that seed at the very depth of your soul that is pure love, that is divine. And if you do that, seek first this kingdom of God, not only will you get that kingdom of God, not only will you get that bliss, not only will you wake up in the middle of the night and dance in ecstasy around your bedroom in front of the holy pictures, maybe naked, who knows, (laughs) just completely blissed out in God. If you want that kind of life, then seek first the kingdom of God. Don't serve two masters. Decide which one you hate and which one you love. And pour your love into that. Pour your life into that, that it might be pure. Trilokia sang, and suddenly the master stood up and went into samadhi, repeating the mother's name. Coming down a little to the plane of sense consciousness, he danced and he sang, I drink no ordinary wine, but the wine of everlasting bliss. As I repeat my mother Kali's name, it so intoxicates my mind that people take me to be drunk. First, my guru gives molasses for the making of the wine. My longing is the ferment to transform it. Knowledge, the maker of the wine, prepares it for me. And then when it is done, my mind imbibes it from the bottle of the mantra, taking the mother's name to make it pure. Drink of this wine, says Ram Prasad, and the four fruits of life will be yours. The master looked at Keshab tenderly, as if Keshab were his very own. 
He seemed to fear that Keshab might belong to someone else, that is to say that he might become a worldly person. Looking at him, the master sang again, We are afraid to speak, and yet we're afraid not to speak. Our mind, O Radha, half believe that that we are about to lose you. We tell you the secret that we know, the secret whereby we ourselves and others with our help have passed through many a time of peril. Now it all depends on you. Quoting the last part of the song, he said to Keshab, that is to say, renounce everything, call on God. He alone is real. Everything else is illusory. Without the realization of God, everything is futile. This is the great secret. So we have the master standing up again and going into ecstasy. Just full-on absorption in God. And dancing again and singing again. What a big part of his spiritual life is that dancing and that singing. You know, singing, maybe I do a little bit of singing. I don't think, actually I tried to dance this week. (laughs) There's a memory. Yeah, I actually tried that. I did. I actually tried that in when I was down in North Carolina. I was in the house by myself, and Takor, they have giant pictures of Takor in their shrine. So I was in the shrine, and this, I, I, probably even this verse is the one that inspired it. And I thought, God, I've, all these years, 50 years of my life, and I've never danced for God. <laughs> I know why now, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's that encouragement, though. It's it's part of that fun. It's part of that life. It's that spark of divinity that was in Takor that made him so beautiful, which is the reason that we remember him. And it's a call. It's a reminder to you, to me, to wake up, enjoy yourself a bit with the Lord, you know, walk and, and dance. Uh, you know, you don't have to sit and meditate. You can dance in joy before God. You can sing, make up a song. He made up this song. You know, he he he. he uh, it says that he that he improvised these lines. I drink no ordinary wine, but the wine of everlasting bliss. I repeat my mother's name. It so intoxicates my mind that people think me to be drunk. And then he gives us he gives us a, a process here. If you want this, first, your guru gives you the molasses for making the wine. Find your guru. Find your teacher. And go to your teacher and get the first ingredient, that sugar, so that you can ferment that wine. So go to your guru. The guru is your, your primary source of that knowledge. My longing is the ferment to transform it. Sit with that. You know, when you, that, that disappointment, like I'm not with God. I don't, I don't feel that inside. I don't sit with that. Don't disguise that pain. Ferment it. Let it sit there in the heart and become longing. You know, uh, there's a couple of poems where Hafiz talks about that longing. You know, he's, and he says not to give it up so easy, but steep it like a tea. You know, in your heart, that love for God might be might be brewed from that longing, from that state. And then he has that beautiful vision. It's like he says, God, God saw you dancing, saw you twirling on your roof in ecstasy tonight. If you had twirled just one more time. We, we were about to join you, but you quit, and we went, we went back. So to have that, that beautiful expectation in, in your dancing you know, with the Lord, <laughs> to have that idea that he's going to show up any moment and fill that heart, bring that smile, bring those eyes with him for you. So your guru gives you the molasses. Your longing is your fermentation. Knowledge, your studies, your, your knowledge of yourself, being being divine, being one with all things, that prepares that wine for you. And when it is done, it's your mind that imbibes it from your mantra. So you run that mantra through your mind, and it brings that vision of God. It brings that welcome of the beloved, the bride, the bridegroom to the chamber, you know, to the chamber of the heart. Through your mantra. Abides it from the, from the bottle of the mantra, taking mother's name to make it pure. Drink this wine and the four fruits of life, dharma, artha, kama, and moksha. Purpose or ethics, structure, prosperity, pleasure, and freedom are all yours. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. 
So get your priorities right in your life. All these things are yours. All these things are for you. You know, and while we're sitting there, while you're in that state, it's like you hear that and you're afraid. You're like, hmm, yeah. You don't want to say you can't do it. You don't want to not do it. But you, you're terribly, you're, you're kind of paralyzed because of the, all the things that you think you love that you can't let go of. And it's at that time when Takwar, when God is sitting there with you, he's not disappointed. He's not shaming you. You know, he's not looking down on you, not judging you for that time. How's he feeling? He says to you, he sits next to you and whispers in your ear, he says, I'm, a, I'm afraid to speak. And I'm afraid not to speak to you. You know, because he doesn't want to push you accidentally one way or the other. He's sitting there waiting for your heart to choose him. He says, my mind, O Radha, as he talks to you, calling you his beloved, Radha, half believe that I'm about to lose you. I'll tell you the secret that I know, the secret whereby I and many others with my help have passed through many a time of peril. But now it all depends on you. Renounce everything. Call on God. He alone is real. All of those other things that you're grasping, they're illusory. They can't feed you. They can't take care of your hunger. Without this realization of God, everything else in your life is futile. This is the great secret. So he sits there now, afraid to speak, tenderly in love with you and your nature, desperately wanting that relationship, asking and saying, it's up to you. I've given you everything. The cards are stacked in your favor, but you have to make the decision. You have to jump. You have to find me. Everything else is illusory. Nothing will give you what is possible. We keep each other happy. Like two lovers who have become lost in a winter blizzard and find a cozy, empty hut in the forest, I now huddle everywhere with my friend. God and I have built an immense fire together. We keep each other happy. We keep each other warm. Let's take a few minutes just to think about Takor. Maybe spend a minute with that blazing eyes of bliss gazing at you with that love. I'm afraid to speak. It's up to you.